Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me today uh, for the second of a series of talks entitled Awakened Living. And uh, today I'm going to talk about uh, the Four Noble Truths, as I, I've spoken about last week. Uh, don't worry if you didn't see last week's session. If you're just joining us now, that's fine. All of these sessions are uh, independent and standalone. Uh, but if you wish to go back to that one later, it's on my YouTube uh, channel and also here on Facebook. If you scroll through, uh, you'll find it there. Uh, so we're talking about the Four Noble Truths, and today in particular we're going to focus on really uh, the first, what I, I like to think of as tasks, or the first task, which is uh, focusing on uh, dukkha, or suffering, like that. So before we get into the bulk of today's talk, I do have just a few announcements that I'd like to make. And so this talk here that I'm presenting... Uh, and uh, is really gearing up towards um, an online program that I'm offering, a 12-week online program entitled Awakened Living. Uh, it's entitled Awakened Living, Meeting Life with Wisdom, Kindness, Curiosity, and Care. And it's really a, a program, a retreat, a 12-week retreat focusing on uh, the first teachings that were given by the Buddha. Now, this is a, a completely secular offering. Uh, there's no religion. You don't have to be a Buddhist uh, to receive a benefit from this program and to receive great benefit from these teachings. And I often like to remind people that uh, the Buddha wasn't teaching to Buddhists. He was teaching to uh, people who are curious. Uh, and so I invite you, if you're curious about these teachings, if you're curious about uh, cultivating a way of life where we do meet our experience with wisdom, kindness, curiosity, and care, uh, then this program would be perfect for you. And it's accessible to people who have uh, beginning a meditation practice or no meditation experience at all, that's fine. Uh, we will be doing quite a bit of meditation throughout the course. If you're an advanced meditator, you you have a lot of experience meditating, you're also welcome. I think you could uh, receive great benefit as well. So this course, the Awakened Living Program, is a 12-week program. It runs from November 30th to February 8th. And these are the U.S. dates. That would be in Asia, Australia, Europe, December 1st to February 9th. So this is actually the, this first program, Awakened Living, is part one of a three-part series. Uh, part one, Awakened Living, is focusing on uh, suffering and the end of suffering. Uh, the second one is embracing change and impermanence. And the third 12-week program will be focused on the topic of emptiness or non-self. And you don't have to take all three programs. Each one is a standalone program, but they do they are themed 
And if you have a Buddhist background, you might recognize the theme of the, the three marks of existence. We all, as human beings, uh, or anything that's alive, encounter suffering. We all encounter change and impermanence. And we all kind of a non-self. <laughs> I know that sounds rather ambiguous, but actually um, I'm going to be uh, sitting on a panel of facilitators and teachers uh, in a week from today. Uh, at 7 p.m. here in Thailand, uh, where uh, we'll be talking about emptiness. So if you're curious about that, uh, you know, visit my Facebook page, my Instagram, and you'll see a, an advert in regards to when and where that talk will be. So this program that I'm discussing here, Awakened Living, uh, we meet once a week as a group over Zoom. Uh, section 1 will be meeting from 7 to 10 p.m. It's a three-hour session uh, with a 20-minute with a break in the middle. Uh, so that's Wednesday morning, 7 to 10 a.m. in Thailand, if that's easier for you to, to think about in that sense. Section 2 is 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Wednesday mornings, East Coast time. That section is really uh, designed to cater uh, to, to Europe or to the UK uh, or people who like a later session, perhaps here in Asia. Uh, so that would be 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Wednesday evenings here in Thailand. For more information about uh, this program, uh, you're welcome to go visit my website uh, www.suchsweetthunder.org and just visit the retreats and programs page and that will have all the information you'll need uh, there. Just want to add that everything that I teach, everything that I offer, whether it's one-to-one -one sessions, uh, the courses on the Brahma Viharas, which I've been offering now for a year, or this new course, the Awakened Living Program, Everything is offered within a secular voice. There's no religion. You don't have to have any belief system to join. And everything is offered within a trauma-sensitive framework. So I um, just wanted to offer that and mention that because I think that's quite important. Okay, so on to today's topic of really of suf suffering kind of in parentheses. I'm going to use the Sanskrit word, the Pali word that the Buddha used, uh, dukkha. And so just to talk through what was given as the Four Noble Truths in the Buddhist tradition and what I'm framing here as four tasks to be practiced. So, and I'll just go right to the tasks. <laughs> The Buddha asked us to fully know dukkha, to see the arising of our emotional reactivity, and to see that emotional reactivity also fade, pass, and then to experience or to behold the cessation because that feels good, we then are inspired to cultivate a path, a way of life, which allows our emotional reactivity to pass 
without giving rise to suffering to ourselves and to others. So that's the frame that we'll be exploring in this 12-week program. We'll be using the four tasks, or really this fourfold one task, uh, as a practice. So I just want to recap. I, I know I spoke about this last week, but I just want to uh, mention here what we mean by dukkha. Because the, the, the typical translation of dukkha, the Pali word, the Sanskrit word, uh, is suffering. But it actually, you know, has a much broader scope than that. When the Buddha was asked what he meant by dukkha, he would say, uh, dukkha is birth, dukkha is sickness, dukkha is aging, dukkha is death, dukkha is not getting what one wants, dukkha is getting what one doesn't want, dukkha is being separated from those who are dear, and dukkha is being forced to be near those who aren't dear. <laughs> And so it's such a broad spectrum of discomfort, really, struggle. In fact, one of my teachers translates dukkha to just struggle. Another one of my teachers translates it to stress. Or the argument that arises with the inarguable aspects of life is <laughs> another way to think about dukkha. So many, many different translations, all kind of pointing at this rub that we experience in our, perhaps in our day-to-day -day experience, uh, the ordinary small discomforts that arise from our favorite team not winning the big game to not winning the lottery to having dinner with the in-laws to uh, the really serious you know, pains and discomforts as well, birth, sickness, aging, and death. So it's that whole gamut. And the Buddha asked us to fully know. The, the Sanskrit word is paranya, which means in the round, to fully know our dukkha. And I, I actually like the word or the translation to embrace our dukkha, because embrace has kind of a heartfelt quality to it. Fully know is, is really cognitive, right? It, it keeps us up in the head. But, but when we offer this to embrace our suffering, which really means to embrace life, right? Because it's quite easy for, for most of us to embrace the joy of life, the laughter of life, the pleasures of life. The challenge is, is really to embrace all of life. That's really the call there. So what does it mean to fully know something? Well, luckily for us, somebody asked the Buddha that as well. And so I'll just kind of mention here what he offered to that question. So according to the Buddha, to fully know something or to clearly comprehend means to experience, see, witness, understand our suffering free from greed free from hatred and free from confusion it really means free from 
any desire from that present moment, whatever's arising in the present moment, to be different than what it is. And we can meet the struggles of our life without this draw from our self-interest, without this deep wish that it wasn't happening. In a sense, this radical acceptance. And so, a couple of skills that might be helpful here is the skill of self-compassion. You know, when we're in the middle of struggle, when, they're in, when we're in despair, to just put a hand on your heart and say, yeah, this is hard right now. Or, whew, wow, what a tough week. You know, and just to acknowledge that for yourself. And so we'll, we'll be exploring moves of self-compassion in the 12-week course. And I, I think this is so important now <laughs> in this current world situation, right? I think we can all kind of, well, most of us anyway, I know I can. I want to speak for the entire world, but I know I can certainly say, oh, wow. What a year. <laughs> it's been challenging, you know, and to, to acknowledge that and to honor that. You know, it's quite common for us as human beings to, to when we encounter struggle, when we encounter stress, when we encounter dukkha, we think we've done something wrong, right? We must have erred some way. But in fact, and this is one of the really beautiful aspects of the, the teachings on suffering from the Buddhist tradition, is that these teachings ask us to recognize that this discomfort, this suffering, is inherent in life itself. Birth, sickness, aging, and death. Not getting what one wants, and so forth. That's etched into the very fabric of the human experience. We can't avoid that. And so this, there was actually, and the Buddha was very, very um, precise in his instructions here. So he outlined three different types of dukkha. And he offered this, what he called dukkha dukkha. <laughs> That's an easy one to remember. And this is what I was kind of speaking to a moment ago. This is the ordinary pain and suffering, discomfort, stress uh, that we encounter in life. You know, we uh, drop a book on our foot <laughs> and it hurts. Or, you know, we, we're waiting for a friend who's an hour late and we feel that stress and tension. That's dukkha dukkha. And so I'm just going to continue with this because this is a part of fully knowing or embracing our dukkha, our struggle, our suffering, is this cognitive exploration. So then he went on and he offered what's called, called virapanama. Viparanama. 
My Pali is very poor. <laughs> Viparanama Dukkha. And this is the discomfort that results from change and impermanence. You know, we lose a job, our, our relationship ends, uh, you know, a loved one passes away. Whatever it is, the, the inevitable changes that arise in life. You know, we all know this. You know, our bodies change, grow old, and eventually we meet our last breath. So the Buddha offered teachings around that, and that, that's the topic of the second 12-week course that I'm offering, change and impermanence, and how we can embrace that. The second, uh, the third, rather, dukkha that the Buddha offered, uh, Sankara dukkha. And this is the idea or the recognition that all things, all experiences that we have in life are based on conditions, causes and conditions. And the struggle that arises is then that generally the causes and conditions are greatly out of our control. And so this gives rise to a type of struggle because we, we want to control all of the, these causes and conditions so that our life unfolds in a, in a way that's only joy and happiness and no struggle. Right? And I think, again, a lot of us can relate to this idea how things are in a large part out of our control. Right? We only have to look at this past year and a half, two years to recognize that. So in, in the Sankara Dukkha, it's the recognition that even just this moment, me sitting here speaking about these topics that, that I actually really love to talk about, uh, and you hopefully listening, <laughs> uh, whether you're watching on video or here live, uh, that this situation is a result of literally millions and millions of causes and conditions going back to the beginning of time bringing us all here at this moment and if any one of those myriad causes and conditions were just slightly different i wouldn't be here right now or you wouldn't be here right now or whatever it is and so the idea of control then very easily slips away because we can't possibly have control over all of that. And so the recognition of that first gives rise to this fear and unease perhaps, but then we can kind of let that go and settle into the, to the ride and really enjoy the ride. And so that will be in large part what I'll be offering teachings around in the third 12-week program. And this first 12-week program, I'll be covering all of that because the first 12-week program is about embracing dukkha in its entirety, all three forms. And so the idea then is to become intimate with how we struggle, 
this embrace of our dukkha, the, the patterns that we've created from early childhood and we continue to create and reinforce uh, throughout our life. And when we can clearly see this, and this is one reason why mindfulness meditation practice and some of the other practices that we'll be exploring throughout the course are, are so powerful, is because we begin to take this kind of observational view of the habits and patterns that we've created. We step away from them and look at them from almost like a third-party view. And then in that seeing, they start to kind of soften and unravel. And one of the beauties of that is that we then look around and we see how other people are living their life through their patterns and how that's bringing rise to their struggles. And so this real deep sense of compassion for others begins to be felt and to be known. Because, you know, we see them, you know, reacting to their life in such a way that is causing suffering. But we don't blame them any longer because we see how easily it is to get caught in those patterns from our own experience. And that's quite beautiful. And so this reminds me of a, a quote from uh, Khalil Gabran, the, the Sufi poet. And he said, And God said, Love your enemy. And I obeyed him and loved myself. And God said, Love your enemy. And I obeyed him and loved myself. Because in the actions of the people who, who challenge us, we can see ourselves reflected back. And so we begin to learn to use the mirror of relationship for our own growth and evolution. So how is this all done? Well, I spoke a little bit about this last session, but I'll just perhaps offer a little bit more here. And so the task at hand then is to really fully know or embrace our struggles, our dukkha, our reactive patterns that are a part of our life, are part of our experience. Now, if we encounter a situation that, you know, maybe we're not being mindful or, or you know we're you know our window of tolerance might be a little bit smaller than it might be normally or something it sends us into this reactive pattern and so there we see the arising of the emotion and here's an opportunity to to just see the emotion arise it might be anger or fear or sadness or dread or rage and then we just let it be. And in that letting be, the emotion will, will eventually pass. Like that. So in a, in a sense, it's this radical state of rest. And so 
The idea then is to allow, let's use the example of anger because we all know anger, right? It's the human, part of the human experience is to be angry sometimes. And so this anger arises. Now typically, without a practice, when we feel anger arising in the body, we kind of immediately snap. And whether that snapping means yelling, kicking, punching, screaming, shouting, or whether it means choking it back into the body, repressing it or suppressing it, which causes suffering for ourselves, physically and emotionally, and probably for others later down the road. So rather than embarking on that, there's a third choice. The first two choices are either expression in unhealthy ways or repression. The third choice is to let it be. And anger is particularly challenging in this sense because we're kind of taught culturally that anger is bad, that it's wrong to feel anger. And so it's not. It's actually a, it's wired into the human nervous system. Right? We're going to feel anger anytime we feel threatened. Anytime our sense of being is in threat, we either respond to that threat with anger or fear. Absolutely fine, absolutely normal. And so the first step, I think, is to kind of remove the taboo around anger. It's just when we feel anger, just say, yeah, that's, that's anger. And that's a part of this letting it be, is naming it as it arises. You know, if you feel the anger, oh, there's anger. <clears throat> and going into the body with it, going into the somatic experience. Now, what does this anger feel like? And then in that recognition, it arises, it's there. Then there'll be thoughts about the anger. How could that person do that to me? You know, I'm gonna call that person and I'm gonna let them know exactly what I think, or whatever it is. You know, the storyline that's there. And so the story is the fuel for the anger, or whatever emotion that's arising, the storyline behind the emotion, or the storyline that accompanies the emotion, is the log on the fire. And so this is why this meditation practice is so powerful, this mindfulness practice of just recognizing the thoughts and letting them go, recognizing the thoughts and letting them go. Because then when we're caught in an emotion, we can look for the storyline that's keeping it alive and let that go. You might note it by just saying, thinking, 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 let it go. Now, if it's a, you know, if it's a charged situation, the story will probably come right back. That's fine. It's normal. Continue the practice of thinking, 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 letting the thoughts go, and feeling the, the somatic experience in the body of that emotion. Eventually it passes. Now, here's the the behold the cessation, the, to really enjoy what it feels like to feel an emotion without 
acting it out, without expressing it, without causing suffering to others, to ourselves, or without repressing it. It's, it's a beautiful opening, because here we step into more, a more creative way of being in the world. There's another possibility. We don't have to act through that habitual, reactive way. And so the nature of these habitual reactions are that they're secular. They keep us trapped in the same life experiences over and over again. So when we can step out of that, we can start to create a new way of being in the world. Life becomes fresh and filled with possibility. So just to talk through the fourfold task once again, to embrace dukkha, embrace our struggles, embrace, which is really a call to embrace all of life, right? To see the arising of our emotional reactivity when life is challenging, when life is stressful, when we're encountering birth, sickness, aging, death, and so forth. To see our emotional reaction arise and just to let it be. Remember that everything that arises passes, everything. If it's been born, it has a life and it has a death, including our reactive patterns, including our emotions. So this anger, fear, dread, rage, whatever it is, arises. And if we just let it be, without fueling it with our thoughts, it passes. Then to really enjoy that passing, to take it into to really sit with that for, if you have time in that moment, if it's not a charged situation, to really just breathe it in, breathing it into the heart and celebrating. Ah, look at that. Because when we do that, it reinforces our, our it literally reinforces our nervous system for future experiences where we can do that again and again. So if we can sit with that cessation for five breaths, ten breaths, however long, for an extended period of time, each second we sit with that, millions of neurons in the brain are, are rewiring to create a neurological pathway to allow those patterns to go more and more easily. And so this is kind of leading to the fourth part of the fourfold task cultivating a way of life which allows this to happen more and more easily. And this is how this is, is traditionally laid out, whether it's laid out as a belief system in the Buddhist religion, or it's laid out in a secular fashion the way I'm offering it here as a practice. But now one could very easily see, I'm going to kind of throw a curveball here, one could very easily see this unfolding uh, starting from the third part, where and you know you could explore this in your in your own life, where you have a very minor situation, and an emotion arises and you're able to let it go. So it could be something very I don't know use something very mild like um, like somebody being late to a meeting, right? Let's say I have a, a an appointment with a student. Uh, at, I don't know, at noon, and they show up at 12.45, right? 
Right. That would be pretty irritating, <laughs> but not unworkable, right? And so maybe perhaps without a practice, uh, you know, one might be able to experience that type of agitation and, okay, it feels like, you know, something I might react to, but then I'm able to just see it and let it go. Okay, I know this student, you know, they, were, they had a good reason for being late and not a big deal. Okay. So that seeing, when we start to see how that's possible, we start to look for ways to allow that to happen with maybe larger situations. And so here, our path is starting at the third task. We have beheld a cessation, like, what was that? I felt angry, but I didn't get anger. Or I, fe I felt angry, but I didn't yell, kick, punch, scream, and shout. It just passed, and I feel fine. I feel good. Then we start to look for a practice which allows that to happen more easily. Perhaps we listen to a Dharma talk on Facebook or Instagram, or we attend a local uh, mindfulness community group, or whatever it is. We, we start a meditation practice. We start to look for ways which allow that to happen more easily. And in that looking, we start to cultivate a practice, then that allows us to embrace life more, more easily because we have a, an expanded awareness through these practices. And that embrace of life allows that arising to just come and stay for a while and then pass. That's the practice. So, so it can start at the third task. It doesn't have to start at recognizing dukkha, recognizing suffering, seeing the arising, letting it be, beholding the cessation. It can really start anywhere like that. It started at the fourth, where you just, maybe a friend of yours has taken up a meditation practice and they say, oh, this is, this is good stuff, you should try this. And so you accompany your friend to this, you know, Wednesday evening meditation session or whatever it is. And, you know, you go maybe for a month or two months and all of a sudden you're able to experience parts of life that you weren't able to experience before, that would have led you to, you to reactivity. You're starting to embrace your life, embrace dukkha. You're starting to see the arising and letting it be and so forth. So it can start anywhere. It doesn't have to go, you know, bang, 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 one, two, three, four, like that. And I think that's worth noting. When we're looking at a map, right, it's, it's good to know that, you know, which direction to hold it, or if it's even for this map, you can hold it in any direction, north, it's due north either way you turn the map, <laughs> which is actually really quite lovely. So when things fall apart in our life, when we encounter sickness, aging, death, not getting what one wants, whatever it is, when tragedy presents itself and things move into chaos, we have a choice. We could resist that chaos, we could struggle against it, we could push, we could say, no, this can't be happening. Or we could take a deep breath and say, this is what life is presenting right now. It's not easy sometimes, I know that. And I know sometimes when I sit here and speak about it, I make it sound easy. 
I know it's not. I know that life presents some very, very real, unforgiving challenges from time to time. But it's just the ability to say yes to that, that allows the, this opening to happen. It allows us to step off that wheel of reactivity and create a fresh way of being. So this is what we're going to be exploring over these 12 weeks, really using the Buddha's first three discourses. So going right back to the root of the, the Buddhist tradition and really uh, mining those discourses for these gems of wisdom uh, that can really help us live a more creative life, uh, live a life that's free from our reactive patterns. So perhaps I'll just give a little bit of an example. Last time I gave the example of driving a car, you know, somebody driving carelessly and almost causing an accident. I just need a sip of water. And so, some of you may know that uh, I spent quite a bit of time on cruise ships. Uh, some years as a musician and, and some years uh, offering teaching, such as this one, um, which was really great. Um, about 10 or 11 years, I guess. Uh, and really before COVID. Uh, maybe after COVID, I'll go back. Let's see. <laughs> So this story comes from one of the one day when I was on a ship, and this was when I was teaching uh, the Dharma of Buddhism. And so I had a cabin uh, to myself, a, a quite a nice cabin where I, I could spend a large portion of the day meditating, uh, and I often did that. Uh, I would go, I would give a talk in the morning. I'd be done by eleven or so, and I'd spend most of the afternoon in meditation. So such was the case. I, I'm in my cabin. It's very quiet. It's a nice sea day, and the the sound of the ocean against the the side of the ship may, makes a really, really beautiful meditation uh, environment. So I'm there enjoying the practice. And I lived in a hallway that had a lot of transition, a lot of change. You know, my my neighbors were were these entertainers that would get flown onto the ship and they'd stay for a week or two and then they'd get flown out. Or they'd even stay maybe for a few days and they'd get flown out. And so I had a new neighbor who I hadn't met yet. And this neighbor, who was, a, I guess, a musician or I think a singer, actually. Uh, and I think uh, they were of the idea that their taste in music should be the same as my taste in music. <laughs> And so it was probably four or five in the evening. And I'm there and, you know, meditating, very peaceful. And all of a sudden, comes pumping through the wall. <laughs> and so there it is. That's dukkha. That's the rub of life. The rub that inevitably will arise in our, in our life. Okay, so then the, the, I'm feeling the, the bass against my heart and the 
the, the, you know, the drums are rumbling in my belly and I'm trying to meditate. Uh, but all that's happening in my mind is, oh no, how could they be doing that? What's, you know, don't they know people live next door and the walls on the ship are so thin and what's wrong with, what, you know, is that even music? Yeah, what's wrong with the kids these days? <laughs> that's the reaction. That's the, the reactive pattern. And there's the arising right there. You know, and, and the frustration, the disappointment, there it is, you know. And I recognize that as long as I keep thinking about how bad the music is or how I have the right to live in a quiet environment and trying to meditate over here, how, if I keep those stories going, it's just going to keep that reactivity in play. I'm just going to be living out that reactive pattern. And eventually that might lead me to unskillful behavior like pounding on the wall or calling them up and saying, you know, hey, what's the matter with you? you know, or whatever it is, causing a very unharmonious living situation with my neighbor, right? So fortunately, because I've been practicing for a while and, and I know what to do here, I, I, I recognize the thoughts are keeping the emotion in play. I just say thinking, 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 thinking to myself. Noting the thinking process, allowing the thoughts to go. Coming back to feel the body, feel the breath, being in the present moment. And then the emotion starts to dissolve. It just becomes another moving part in the entire field of experience. But then probably the thoughts come right back. Yeah, but I, you know, I have the right to live in a quiet environment. And, you know, don't they know they live next to the meditation teacher or whatever it is? That's just more thinking. Thinking, 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 letting that go, coming back to the present moment. And eventually it subsides. So that's the third task is to behold the cessation. It feels good that I can actually be in the present moment witnessing this emotional experience arise and pass without causing suffering for myself or for someone else. That feels really good. It's very empowering to recognize that we have this choice. And so there, the idea would be to breathe in that good feeling, to just celebrate that for a few breaths, a few minutes, whatever it is. And then that becomes fuel for more practice, right? I know this works. I'm, I, I've seen it work. I, I, I know how good it feels when it works. So gosh darn it, I'm going to study more. I'm going to practice more. I'm going to keep going with this because it feels good to, to be empowered in this way. And so that's the practice. Now, something I haven't addressed here, and I am running out of time, but I, I do want to talk about it just a little bit. And this will be the topic of the next two Thursdays that I'll be offering talks. It's Thursday morning here in Thailand. Uh, some of you may be tuning in from other places in the world. But the next two weeks talks, I'm going to be focusing on the Eightfold Path, which is really shorthand for bringing mindfulness to all aspects of our life. The Buddha gave us eight different aspects. I won't go into all eight now. Um, but it's really, you know, a set of practices, a set of guidelines 
for bringing mindfulness to our life when we're not meditating. And so that will be a, a large portion of the 12-week course will be engaging in those practices. So if you're curious about how to be mindful in your day-to-day -day experience, whether you have a meditation practice or you don't, uh, yeah, to, to, I, I would welcome you to sign up to this course and to explore that. Um, uh, and I, I find these tools and techniques in completely pragmatic. They're, it's a great way of, of bringing these practices to life. So I think that's all I'm going to say today. I've spoken for about 45 minutes. I know with uh, so many things happening online, it's really challenging to keep anyone hanging around watching a video or, or a session for 45 minutes. So if you did tune in for the whole thing, I really, really thank you very much for doing that. Uh, and hopefully I will see you either on Tuesdays, uh, Tuesday mornings here in Thailand. I'm talking about loving kindness, which is the topic of another course that I'm offering beginning December 1st. And on Thursday mornings, I'm talking about uh, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path from the Buddhist tradition. But again, offered in a very, very secular, non-denominational fashion. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be safe, be well, be healthy, be happy if you can. And uh, I'll see you in a week. I'll ring the bell to close us out and to make it official. <laughs>